No, that's different. The rabbi is already seated. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. There's no oh, problem. Yeah. What, what if he's standing? He walks in. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, you should. I mean, I mean, let me put it this way. I mean, when you walk in, you're already standing, right? So, yeah. so, so when you sit, you've already, sta- you know, you're standing. So you're going. But no, but if you walk in and the rabbi's standing, should you, just, should you sit, like sit? Or I, I think there it's understood that uh, you don't have to. Ask is this in the Shulchan Yeah. You know, I remember when I was in, uh, in ninth grade, just beginning high school, so the rabbi gave, had to give us a talk that we have to stand up when he walks into the room, and he said he was so uncomfortable doing it. He doesn't want to tell people, but he felt that he had to teach us the, the mitzvah. So there is a, yeah, it's in the Shulchan Aruch, it's, in, it's, in, it's actually from the Gemara itself, but I'm a teacher. Okay. Sarah uh, wanted me to let you know that she's really sick. I didn't hear you. Sarah wanted me to let you know that she's sick and oh. she feels really bad on the same. Okay, well, she have a schlem. It's not, it's not uh, corona or anything? No. Okay, refresh. Okay. So here, I, I just want to, um, I'm going to, I'm going to start off with something that's totally left field. It has nothing to do with what we were talking about, but I, I think it may be no gaya. It may, may be relevant to, to people practically, so I'm just going to talk about something totally not relevant to anything we've been talking about, but I want to talk about Sheva Brachas for a minute, for a little bit. I don't know if anyone here is engaged or uh, hopefully going to get engaged soon or whatever. Amen. Amen, yeah. Uh, so we know, of course, that uh, we recite seven brachos, and we do it uh, at the wedding. We do it at two points. We do it under the chuppah, Sheva Brachot, and then at the end of the meal, uh, there's benching. So in benching, there's also the Sheva Brachot. In addition, there are seven days of celebration. And uh, each day, the custom is that uh, you have a meal, and the meal has, uh, there are going to be Sheva Brachas recited in the meal as part of the benching. Now first, let me just correct a very popular misconception that people have. People think you have to have a Sheva Brachas meal every day of the week following the wedding. Now, most people like it, but according to the halacha, you don't have to have it, meaning... um, if, if you're exhausted from all the parties and you would just like to take a night off or a day off and not have a Sheva Brachas party, uh, you are permitted to do that. In fact, uh, the, the old minig of Yerushalayim, now maybe it was because of poverty, was they only had like Sheva Brachas at the wedding and on Shabbos. They didn't even have a Sheva Brachas in the middle. Again, that may be connected to poverty. So uh, Say again? So you just have to say the seven brachas? No, no, you don't say it either. Meaning like that. No, no, one second, one second. Uh, Sheva brachas, in order to recite the Sheva brachas, there has to be a meal, number one, with hamotzi. Number two, there has to be a minion of men. Right. And number three, and number three, number three, at least one of the people has to be a new face that was neither at the wedding nor at any of the earlier Sheva brachas, except on Shabbos. Shabbos is called panim chadashas. Shabbos is called new, so you don't need a, a new guest. Now, every one of the Sheva brachas, you need somebody new who wasn't at any Sheva brachas. That's before. correct. That is correct. Except what? on Shabbos. Except on Shabbos, you need at least one person that is new. Huh? Uh, no, someone who wasn't at the meal. That's an interesting question. If somebody was at the chuppah and didn't stay for the meal, they may count as a new face. What if they stayed but, at the meal and didn't? No, then for sure not. If eat. if they were at the, uh, no, if if they were, eat. if they didn't eat but they were there, uh, that's a good question. That's a good question. I think they wouldn't count, oh but I goodness. need to check it. So one second, what if you're like doing a wedding somewhere far and you can't have a kind of chadasha? 
So you just have someone run for them. Well, yeah, 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 right. People, people invite strangers sometimes. Just you know? for the show up at the park, not for the whole event. They just come for them. No, they yeah, they come. They don't. They don't have to wash even. Uh, they can come and can eat. Uh, they can eat a piece of cake, and then catch for the enter for the new face for the show. Seven new people. No. What is the name of the new face? Well, over. You know. Well, you need. You need. You need. You need six new people because Shabbos. Shabbos. You don't need. You don't need new people. Right. Shabbos is considered new. Right, so these are the conditions for Sheva Brachas. There has to be a minion of men. Without a minion, you do not recite Sheva Brachas. There has to be at least one new person, new, new man, uh, uh, except for Shabbos. Uh, and uh, it has to be a Hamotzi meal. Now, now, the guy who's new can just come in for dessert, but overall, there has to be a meal that people are, are watching for. Now, if you have those conditions, then you must say Sheva Brachas, but you're not obligated to make those conditions. In other words, uh, you could basically say, I don't want, I don't want a party tonight. Uh, now, I know that may sound funny, but I can tell you that when you get uh, married, you know, you might, you might be exhausted. Sheva Brachas itself can be uh, a little bit of a, a little bit of a strain, but okay. Uh, but be it as it may, uh, this, this is Sheva Brachas, and uh, the seven blessings, of course, one of the blessings is just the Brachas and wine, and then there are six other, six other blessings. Now, the, one of the issues that uh, people need to know, again, it's sometimes a difficult issue, is uh, virginity, not virginity, the man, the woman, what, what are the halachos? Meaning, obviously, if man is a virgin, woman is a virgin, no problem. Of course, you have Sheva Brachas for the entire week. But what if one of them is, is not? So here, the Gemara lays down a very important rule. If either of the parties, either of the parties, uh, is a virgin, uh, whether it's the man or the woman, if either of the parties, and I'll define that more specifically, then you say Sheva Brachas for the whole week, no problem. If, on the other hand, uh, let's first take marriage. If both parties were married before, both parties were married or? Not, I, I, I want to give you, I want to start with the simpler case and then a more complicated case. If both were married? The simple case is if both of them were married before and they're either widowed or divorced, or one widowed and one divorced. Then, if both of them are married, were married before, then you only recite Sheva Brachos under the chuppah and at the wedding meal. Sheva Brachos so under the chuppah. If I benching, at the wedding meal and benching, so you no do not have Sheva Brachos any other day. Now that's where both of them were married before and were widowed or divorced, and by married we mean halachic marriage. Now, that's simple enough, right? So, so th those are simple cases, meaning if only one was married and the other is a virgin, for sure, sever brachas for seven days. If both were married, I don't mean to each other, if both were married and got divorced or widowed, sheva brachas is only under the chuppah at the wedding meal, nothing else. The question becomes, what if the issue is not marriage? What if the issue is that, let's say, neither of them were married, uh, but they're not virgins? Maybe. What if they were living with each other? Number one, that's a big issue, right? A man and a woman are living with each other, not that they should, and that, then they decided, Baruch Hashem, to get married, and they want a kosher marriage. Uh, neither of them are virgins because of being with each other. Uh, do they recite Sheva Brachas for a whole week? Or is it only under the chuppah? 
So here, again, some of the, the reasoning is a little difficult, but I will tell you that the bottom line is that we are lenient uh, in such a case. Uh, now, you have to be very careful to distinguish a number of situations. The case I'm giving you now is the Hassan and the Kala were living together before marriage, and now they decide to get married. But if, ne if they were not married before, they will recite Sheva Brachos, or they will have Sheva Brachos recited for the whole week, right? No problem. And that avoids any embarrassment. Nobody has to know. Okay. But where it gets a little more problematical is, let's say that uh, the loss of virginity was not because they were with each other, but they were with other people. So here, we do have a very subtle distinction. And that's why you have to pay so much close attention to the facts between a male and a female, meaning like the following. If the man was not married, the man was not married, but the man had intercourse with another woman, so he's not a virgin, uh, so whatever the woman's status is, for purposes of Sheva Brachos, he's treated like a single person, and you do recite Sheva Brachos for seven days. Meaning, he only loses if he was married. But mitzad the woman, we are strict. That if the man was married, divorced widow, and the woman was a non-virgin, that combination, in such a situation, we only recite Sheva Brachos at the wedding, and under the purpose. If the man was married. Yeah, so again, again, if the man was married, right. by, by that I mean a kosher marriage to a, to a Jewish woman, the man was married, and is non-virgin, even though she was not married, uh, that is treated as two non-virgin situations, and the Sheva Brachos is only recited at, under, the, uh, under the chuppah, and in the Birkas Hamazon of the wedding of the wedding meal. But you see, if you took the case in reverse, if the man was married, I'm sorry, if the man was uh, not married, but he was not a virgin, and the woman was married, in such a case, you would still say Sheva Brachas for seven days. So I'll, I'll give you an actual case that, that came, came to my, you know, my attention. Uh, this involved the following scenario. A Jewish man had been married before to a Jewish wife and got a divorce. There was a get. The Kala had been married to a non-Jewish man, an intermarriage. Now, an intermarriage is not a marriage. So wh whether she was married legally or not, that simply means she was not a virgin. So the man was a halachic divorcee, and the woman was a non-virgin. So under those circumstances, under the chuppah and at the wedding. Now, if it would have been reversed, let's imagine the man had been intermarried with a non-Jew, and the woman was a halachic divorcee, in such a situation, we would still say Sheva Brachos for seven days, because uh, for the man it's a new marriage, right? So this is a subtle issue to keep in mind. So once again, just to summarize uh, the, the configurations, if they were living with each other before marriage, Sheva Brachos for all seven days. Uh, if they were both married and divorced or widowed, 
Sheva Brachos is only at the wedding and the wedding meal. If the woman was married, divorced, widowed, and the man uh, lost his virginity not through marriage, you'd have Sheva Brachos for seven days. If, on the other hand, the man was halachically married and the woman was a non-virgin, you'd only have Sheva Brachos for the wedding and the wedding and the wedding meal. Okay, so it's a little complica complicated there. Yeah? Um, if they both lost their virginity and they both were not married, what happened? Yes, so there uh, you would still do it for seven days. Because as long as the man, we meaning like this, the man will get seven days of Sheva Brachas unless he was married and she lost her virginity. You need both conditions. Uh, if he was not married, even though she was, a virgin, was not a virgin, you would still recite Sheva Brachas for seven days. Okay? okay? Yeah? Why are the Shruti Yeah, it, it's a complicated reason. I mean, the reason basically is that uh, even if the man is not a virgin, uh, but the, uh, the Sheva Brachas can exist because it's a first marriage for him, meaning, meaning as long as it is the first marriage of the man, that allows Sheva Brachas to be recited. Masha'in came if he was married, so it's not the first marriage of the man, because he was married before. So then, uh, if she is not a virgin bride, so the joy is said to be a little less. Well, like, what if he hasn't been married? Yes, he has not, yeah. But she isn't a virgin. Oh, so that's what I'm saying. Um, if he has not been married, even if he's not a virgin, if he has not been married and she is not a virgin, Sheva Brachas are going to be recited. For so and that's he, even, and that, by the way, that's even true if she was married. Because, so it yeah. relies more on the man gets the Sheva Brachas if it's his first marriage. No that seems what. to be what? That's correct. So that's it's correct. less reliance upon the woman's virginity and more upon the marriage status of the man? Well, yeah, but, 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 but the woman's virginity is still relevant in the following sense. If, if this is the man's, um, let's say it's not the man's first marriage. man was married before but she is a, a virgin bride, you, you do several brachas there for seven days. So it's either the virginity or the first marriage that will enable him to have several brachas. Okay, so these are some complications. Now, occasionally uh, you will find that uh, if someone is a balas tshuva and if not making several brachas with shame or embarrassment, uh, you, you have to talk to a rabbi about it, there might be some allowances for extra Sheva Brachos, even when the halacha does not uh, officially permit it, uh, in order to spare embarrassment. But, but usually, um, it's not that embarrassing. People don't have to have, people don't have to have every day. It's not necessarily something that's embarrassing. So what do you think we will get the full seven days if one of the Well, okay, go over this. If there's never a case where if one of them is a virgin, there is No, that's absolutely the case. If, if one of them is a virgin, 100% you'll have seven days of Sheva Brachos, always, always. There is no case where if one of them is the virgin, you're not going to have Sheva Brachas for What seven if they're days. both not virgins, but like, because you, you said um, they were, if they were living together before marriage, then they had the whole full week, et cetera? Yep. But what if they both aren't virgins and they weren't living together previously? So that's what I was saying. Uh, if they're both not virgins, but it's the husband's first marriage, Yeah. You will recite Sheva Brachas for seven days. Even if they lost their virginity separately. That's correct. That is correct. As long as it's the husband's first marriage. 
But we don't apply that paradigm to the wife, meaning if, it, if it's the husband's second marriage uh, and it's the wife's first marriage, but she's not a virgin, then you wouldn't say to Sheva Brachas. Again, it, it's difficult to, to explain the, the, the difference, but we're focusing more on the man's first marriage. Okay? So this is the uh, idea of, of, of Sheva Brachas, just to be aware of it generally. Uh, but, the, but I guess the most important thing, maybe the most practical thing, is that... Uh, if, God forbid, it's not proper, uh, they were living together, they do not forfeit, by that reason alone, they do not forfeit the Sheva Brachas for seven days. I'm not sure if I talked about this before. An interesting question that rabbis get sometimes is, uh, let's say you have a couple, you know, I mean, I, you know, you're, you're, well, you wouldn't be a rabbi of a show yet, okay, yet, uh, but let's assume that a rabbi of a show uh, has a couple, and the couple are living together outside of marriage, they're not married, but they're gradually becoming more and more observant. Should the rabbi encourage the woman to go to the mikvah to continue a, uh, a premarital intimate relationship? Now, let me explain the issue here. First of all, what is, is it a sin to have marital intercourse outside of marriage, right? No, maybe, I shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't be recorded. What is the Avera exactly? Uh, is it against halacha? To have relations outside of marriage. So in reality, in reality, it's a machlokas. It's not so simple. There are some opinions that say, under Torah law, there is no prohibition. On that. That's called on that, on that, on that. That's called. No man or the woman on, on either, on either, on either. Yeah, uh, but the Rambam and the Shulchan Aruch say there is a Torah prohibition, and the Torah prohibition is a negative commandment. But you have to understand that there's a much more serious Avera with premarital intercourse, Bisman and that is, from the time one first hit, she is a Nida until she goes to the mikvah, right? Counts seven clean days and goes to the mikvah. I'm sure you, this is very critical to understand. If a man has relations with a single Jewish woman, the fact that it's premarital sex is the least of the Averas that are involved. The real Aveira is not premarital sex, although that is usher. The real Aveira is Nida. Even if you'd be married, there would be that problem, right? Be sure you understand this, because single women, Bisman do not go to the mikvah. In the time of the temple, by the way, even girls who menstruated would go to the mikvah, because uh, there was truma, there was korbanos, there were things that had to be in a state of purity, and when a woman is a Nida, she could make things tameh, so in the time of the Beis HaMikdash, you know, boys and girls would have to go to the mikvah all the time. Boys too. Because uh, seminal emission, or they touched a dead animal. The holy, we're not, we're not even familiar with today. But Bisman Hazer, generally speaking, single women do not go to the mikvah. So that means, until she goes to the mikvah, after counting seven days, there's a Torah prohibition of cohabiting with Anita. So here's the question as a rabbi. I'm confronted with a couple. They're, they're living in sin in the sense that they're not married. On the other hand, if the woman goes to the mikvah, it's much less of sin. We've taken away the sin of nida, even though we still have the lesser aveira of premarital relations. So the question would be, should I encourage the woman? Say again? That is an Avera, well, the Rambam and the Shulach says it is an Avera, but it's a much less Avera than Nida. So should I encourage a single woman to go to the mikvah in order to take away 
the severe Avera of Nida? Or should my response be, hey, you're living in sin anyway. I'm not going to give you a way to kind of give you approval of a sinful of a sinful act. Yeah. Yep. Um, uh, wouldn't you be considered like a concubine then? Isn't that like a well, that, that's the issue. That's exactly the issue. The no, no, you're, you're 100% correct. The, the question becomes Pilegesh. No, that's the issue. Uh, the machlokas the I'm alluding to is there's an institution called Pilegesh, which is a, a, a halachically valid mistress. And those, there are those who say such a thing is permitted, and that's why premarital would be mutter if she's not a nida. But on the other hand, Pilegesh is a special institution only for And an average person, you know, can't do it. That is the very argument I'm referring to. Say again? Well, if you marry her, yeah, yeah. But if you, but we're talking about you're, you're, you're living outside of marriage. So the, the issue is a real philosophical issue, and that is, if somebody is doing an Aveira, and you can't persuade them not to do an Aveira, but you can lessen the Aveira from something very, very strict to something a little less stricter, should your attitude be, I'll try to minimize the Aveira, or is the problem that no, you're encouraging them. You know, you're no, putting. Well, you're putting a stamp. You're kind. You're kind of saying, "Oh, I'm going to make this more kosher by telling you to to but go to the mikvah." They're going to do it anyway. They're going to do it anyway. That, that that's correct. But the question is, should the rabbi have a part in approving it? Uh, now, I understand you're saying, "Well, you're not, I'm not approving it. I'm just going to do it anyway." Uh, try to minimize the avera. Now, yeah. Isn't there an idea that if a woman isn't a virgin, maybe if she's not married, she should cover her hair, but you don't because of like the shame aspect? So, yeah, so that, that's a separate issue, really. Uh, right? We know that there's a mitzvah on married women to cover their hair, at least when they're in public, when they're in the house, that's a, that's a machlokas. So the question becomes, what if a woman is not married? And that can, that can play, play out in two scenarios. One is widow divorced. And then for sure she should cover her hair. The other is she wasn't married, but uh, she lived with somebody. Yeah, so uh, that's machlokas. In other words, uh, usually, as you point out, we don't tell women to do this. Uh, but some opinions would be would be strict. But the custom is not to do it. And that, that's correct. On the other hand, for a, a divorced and widowed woman, if she's religious, it is proper to cover her hair. Although sometimes for dating, if she do it. We sometimes give them a green light uh, to be a little lenient, although I've never understood that. I mean, if she wants to marry a religious guy, why would the religious guy, uh, unless she's concealing that she was married or divorced, which makes no sense. Maybe she's really young. Okay, I mean, there are, I mean, I can just tell you that Rabbanim give, give heterim for this, but it's not, uh, not the best thing. So I'll give you an example of this idea of minimizing prohibition. Uh, many of you might have heard of the great uh, Gaon, Rabbi Salanter. Uh, but I think I think it may have been maybe the Tzemach Tzedek said upon him that Hashem felt bad that the Misnagdim didn't have Hasidic rabbis, so he gave them Rabbi Yisrael Salanter. It's actually I think Chabad has even a quote. Rabbi Yisrael was a very great person. He was the one who founded what's called the School of Musser, and it's very interesting. And maybe you discuss it in your other classes. The different Musser is a was this Lithuanian school of thought, 
that talked about ethical behavior, working on your midos, your personality characteristics, uh, striving to be a better person. And they're very, very interesting discussions about what is the difference between the approach of Musser and the approach of Hasidus. Both of them have the same goals, but they employ it through different, different ways. Uh, the standard answer, which is an oversimplification, is that Musser uh, focuses more on negatives, meaning look at your bad qualities and work on them, and Hasidus tries to generate the light and, and not so much focus. But that's a, I think that's a, a bit of a simplification, but, but that's a standard answer. But Rabbi Sosalantra was the great, great founder of the school of Musser, and again, uh, the Hasidim also had great, great admiration for him. So for many years of his life, although he was, he was from Lithuania, Vilna, very, very Torah-intensive town, but he spent a lot of his life in Germany and France where there were very few religious Jews at the time. And one of the places where he lived was Königsberg. Königsberg was a, a port town on the North Sea. And the longshoremen of Königsberg, you know, the ones who loaded the ships, were all Jewish. Very unusual. You don't have that many Jewish longshoremen in America or in Israel. Well, Israel you do, but they're not in America. Um, and the, long, the busiest day of the port was on Shabbos. So every Shabbos, all of these Jews would come and they would load and unload uh, cargo. They were Mechal Shabbos. They were carrying. So Yisrael Salantra went and he taught them how to carry in a little unusual way. You know, that's called the Shinoi. That's kind of a trick in the laws of Shabbos. If you do Malacha in an unusual way, that's not a Torah violation. It's only rabbinic. So for example, if I had to dial a phone on Shabbos, let's say it was a matter of life and death, so if I do it with my knuckle instead of my fingertip, that's called a shinoi, and under Torah law, that's not prohibited. But it is still forbidden rabbinically unless you have a real important need. So he was not taking them away from sin. They were still doing a sin, but he downgraded it from a Torah violation to a rabbinic violation, and that was considered to be a good thing to do. Now, the case of Nita is not comparable exactly, because here you're not downgrading it from a Torah violation to a rabbinic, because even premarital intercourse, according to the Rambam, is a Torah violation, but you're downgrading it from a more serious Torah violation to a less serious and that would be the uh, the issue. So rabbis have to struggle with that. That that is a major uh, that is a major issue. In fact, uh, you even have this situation. Although it makes no halachic sense. See, in the case of a man and a single Jewish woman, it makes halachic sense to go to the mikveh because you're taking off nida. Uh, but some people even apply this to a man that is living with a non-Jew. Let's say a, a Jewish man is living with a non-Jew. Now there. It actually makes no halachic sense for the woman to go to the mikveh. Mikveh does not work for a non-Jew unless she's converting. I mean, mikveh does not take off anything for a non-Jew. And yet, even then, even then, some rabbis might encourage it, even though they're living in sin and in intermarriage, because it, it, it might bring the woman closer. Class? Some rabbis will, will encourage it. No, 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 no. She does not say. Of course, she doesn't. Uh, she she dunks. She just uh, goes to the mikvah. And then what does she accomplish? 
He accomplishes, she actually accomplishes nothing. There's nothing that's accomplished. No, there's nothing that's accomplished. But, but, the, but the theory behind it is that they get used to days of separation and uh, nida, and therefore, hopefully, and, and if she ever converts and becomes religious, she'll be able to uh, adapt. It's a way of chinuch. It's like chinuch. It's like training, training her. But that, but, but you're correct. If for a non-Jewish woman to go to a mikvah, if it's not conversion, is absolutely worthless. It's not the same as a Jewish woman going to the mikvah, where you're taking off the laws, uh, the laws of of, of nida. Okay, so that's uh, that's an issue. What's the source of the Rambam? The source of the Rambam is uh, that uh, the Torah has a phrase, "Lo sia kedesha," which means a, a woman cannot be a prostitute. Now, even though literally that refers to a prostitute, a, a woman, in other words, that's having sex with many people, the Rambam's understanding is that any relationship outside of marriage is considered to be prostitution, even if it's just with one guy. Uh, so that's the machlokas. If, if it means a prostitute or just anything outside of marriage is halakhically called prostitute. I'll repeat, Tyra, a man can live with any woman? Well, according to the, are you without marriage? With, without marriage? Well, well, that's what I'm telling you. According to the Rambam, there would be a low sasa in a man doing that. According to the Rambam. Other opinions would say that as long as it's not promiscuous, as long as it's like a mistress type of thing, that's called the pilegesh, and it would be mutter. You see? That, that, that's the machlokas. Uh, can a man have a pilegesh? Okay, and doesn't that a, a woman shouldn't be a prostitute only for a Jewish woman? Oh, yes, that's true. Uh, so you're asking me why can't a man be with a non-Jewish woman? That's a separate issue. That's an issue being with the not. That's a that's a separate that's a separate aveira. So there, there it actually gets very very tricky, uh, because some say it's almost as, as scary to say this, that the prohibition of a Jewish man being with a non-Jewish woman is is only if it's only if they if they try to get married if it's a marriage. Yeah, and if it's just promiscuous. Uh, it is also, uh, at least rabbinically, for sure, but, but it may not be a Torah law. That's, that's true. That's a very scary thing to say. We don't, we don't even like to say that halacha publicly. Uh, but it is very, very interesting that um, it is better for... <laughs> I, mean, no, it's, I mean, these things are various either way. But if a man asks me, uh, I'm going to be with my geisha girlfriend no matter what, should I have a civil marriage or should I just live out of uh, sin? It's better not to have a civil marriage. That's good, yeah. If a Jewish man has a child with a non-Jewish woman, is that considered spilling his seed? Uh, that's an excellent question. Uh, as you know, a yeah, a Jewish man has a child from a non-Jewish woman. Now, the child is non-Jewish, correct? The child is non-Jewish because the mother is not Jewish. And the father is actually not related. The father is not related to his uh, offspring from a non-Jewish woman. Uh, is that treated as spilling seed? Uh, again, <laughs> as often the case, machloka. Some opinions say it is. Other opinions say that since physically a child was generated from this intercourse, even though the child is not Jewish, you can't call it a wasting of seed. The seed did produce something in the world. So there would be a, a machlokas. Is so that? Uh, 
So once again, uh, it would appear that it would not be spilling. Well, I guess you'd have the same machlokes, but there are some opinions that say that uh, any time the zera goes to sexual gratification within the woman's body, it is not spilling of seed. It's not, it is not. The analogy would be to postmenopause or hysterectomy, right? That's not spilling of seed, yeah. Um, can I ask you a question? So if a client has relations with a non-Jewish woman and has a child, would that woman have he lost his rights? Okay, so here is something that's really unfair, but this is the halacha. Uh, the guy that does the bad stuff never loses his kahuna. It only affects his children. So, a Kohen who lives with a non-Jewish woman, his child is a Goy, not a Kohen, but he remains a Kohen. He remains okay. a Kohen. A Kohen who marries a divorced woman is still a Kohen, but his child is not a Kohen. Right? So it all goes to the child, not to him. Uh, in other words, once you're a Kohen, there's like nothing you can do that would lose it, but but you can and do it. Well, 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 he can, but only if. In other words, he can't do it as long as he's married to the divorced woman. Right. Okay. But if he divorces the divorced woman, uh, he can uh, be reinstated in the base of And then if he has relations with a Jewish woman and he has a child, but they're not married, his child. Well, I'll tell you the truth. The child is a Kohen here. If a Kohen has out-of-wedlock relations, which he's not supposed to have, but the kid is a Kohen. In other words, in order to make his child not a Kohen, he would have to violate one of the Kohen laws. He would have to marry a divorced woman or live with a divorced woman or live with a woman who had intercourse with a non-Jew. But if he simply has an out-of-wedlock relationship, the child is still a Kohen. So if the woman that he had relations with had um, intercourse with a non-Jew and had a child with a non-Jew, had he lost, sorry, One second. Uh, the, the Kohen is with a woman who is with a non-Jew. If they had relations, like yeah. they were married with a non with a with a Jewish woman, but that Jewish woman had a previous child with a non-Jewish yep, man, yep. does he now lose his... The kid is in a Well, the Kohen, no, the Kohen, the, Kohen, the, Kohen, the Kohen who has intercourse with her does not lose his Kohen. But any child, any child he has will not be a Kohen, and that's true even if she didn't have a, ch- a, non- a child from the non And that way, can the child... Can the child still be like, called up to the Torah? And no. Well, 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 he can't be called up to the Torah as a Kohen, but he is a regular... Well, well yeah, the child, from, from, as long as she's a Jewish woman, the kid is a regular Yisrael, and he, he can be called up, he can be called up. Uh, he's not a Kohen at all. No, he's not. The difference is, the difference is, violation of Kohen rules does not create mamzers. No, so. but I'm saying they obviously rabbinically didn't get, they obviously didn't get married properly. That's correct. So the kids are what? They had a kid. No, no. So, so remember, a kid that's born out of wedlock is is totally right, right, fine, totally fine, totally good. Right, right. Well, it's like well, it normally does, but, but there are ways in which it gets broken. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Basically, if someone's grandfather, if someone's grandfather marries a Baltuba, right, and she agrees that's not true, yep. then 
is not a Kohen. That's so correct. That's what he was saying. He that's the end of it. That's the, that's the end of the line. In fact, let me point out that we do this, we do this quite a lot. Uh, a, a very common Shaila that Rabbanim get today is that a Kohen is dating a Balas Tshuva, and the Balas Tshuva is not a virgin because she had relations with a non-Jew. That's the problem. So I'm a Kohen. I want to marry this woman. Problem is, she had relations with a non-Jew. What can I do? So one of the things that we often do is we look into the Kohen's background and we determine. Now, you can't resign your... People make a joke, can I resign my kahuna? No, you can't, you can't. If you're a Kohen, you can't resign. You can't just say, I give it up. But we often find that, you know, a grandmother was divorced or whatever it would be. In other words, there may be something in the family that a lot of people who think they're Kohens are in fact not Kohens. Now, that doesn't work every time, but, but, you know, you can't make it up. But a lot of times you can make that investigation. And, of course, let me just make the obvious point. Names don't mean anything. Even if somebody's name is Cohen or somebody's name is Katz, these are names that are Cohen names. Kaplan, Rappaports. Actually, Rappaports is a little different. Uh, but names don't mean anything because a lot of names, a lot of last names in America were given from Ellis Island by the Irish policeman. You know, you know the, the old joke about a guy comes in from Poland and he gives his name, which all of these letters that nobody can pronounce, and the Irish guy just writes down because he knows Cohen is a Jewish name. So names don't mean anything. Um, if a Cohen marries one of these Jewish women, where it wouldn't transfer to Cohen's status, but they only have daughters. Is there any repercussions? Like any uh, yes, there, there, are, there are very... See, this is a really, really complicated, like, genetic game. Because let's imagine a Cohen marries a divorced woman, has a daughter. So the halacha is that she's fine, but, but any... Uh, no, I'm sorry, let's see, in other words, but, but she, she cannot marry a Kohen. That's her disqualification. The way, what happens to the girl is she cannot marry a Kohen. Well, that's called the Chalala. There's a category, the Torah says a desecrated woman cannot marry a Kohen, and the halachic definition of a desecrated woman, Chalala, is the child, the female child of a prohibited Kohen relationship. See? So the, the, so the consequences are different. If there's a male child, the consequence is he's not a Kohen. If it's a female child, the consequence is she cannot marry a Kohen. So there is a consequence on both the male and the female, but there are different consequences. You see? The, the, the male child can marry a Bas Kohen. He doesn't have a marriage restriction, but he's not a Kohen. The female... You know, wouldn't have a Cohen status either way, really. But her problem is she cannot marry a Cohen. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering if there's a family who is legitimately Cohen, but they're not religious. Does it affect, like, they're very, they live entirely similar? Does it affect what their children are? So it depends. All right, it's a, it's a, it's a very difficult and like tricky. They, but both yeah. mother and father are both from Jewish, but they don't. No, so, so here's the thing. A lack of observance, per se, 
treif, don't keep Shabbos, don't keep Nida. That does not affect Cohen's status. But you know, lack of sexual morality might, meaning to say, uh, if mom may have been with a non-Jew, right, that, that would affect the status, you see? So that would be the issue. Uh, it's not the lack of observance, but the, the probability of whether there was an improper... If the mom and dad before, before they got married, if she wasn't... If, if she, she was... married, then she was a virgin. That's correct, well, but, but, but again, it, 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 if she lost her virginity to a Jew, that's not a problem. The problem would only be to a non-Jew. But yes, that, that's the problem. So some rabbis are very, very strict. They basically make assumptions that any woman that was in a college, you know, since 1960, <laughs> we assume, uh, had improper relations. And they would just say, can't marry a Kohen. Others say, you know, we put people on a, we give everyone a presumption that they're fine until we have some evidence to the contrary. Right? So that's a big, big argument among contemporary rabbinic women. Yeah. Um, is there anything about the Yeah, so that's the big problem. That's a big she hardship. Like, no. Well, either she didn't know he wasn't Jewish, or I don't know, she was like, right. or something. Yeah, yeah. So, so this is the. Like, there was again, this is a hardship. The laws of Kohen do not depend on, on, on knowledge or volition, meaning if a woman uh, was even raped, God forbid, by a non Jew, she cannot marry a Kohen, meaning it makes no difference if it was a voluntary action. Uh, whether she knew about it, whether she was drugged. Uh, now, maybe I shouldn't tell you this because this is going to sound so horrendous. Not only can't she marry a Kohen, but according to Allah, even if she's already married to a Kohen, there's going to be a question, is she allowed to stay married? Sure. Now there, uh, that, that, I know that's a, that's a real, real, real ah. tough... That's, That's a real horrible. tough one. But I will tell you that we have a way out of that because uh, nor normally, you have, you would, in order for her to have to leave her husband, you'd actually have to have eyewitnesses that she, this happened to her, and that's very, very rare. So usually the scenario that she has to leave her husband is usually not going to apply. Uh, but certainly she would not be allowed to marry a Cohen. Yeah. Um, I have a friend who's basically... Okay. Well, I read online that a, w a woman who marries a Cohen who isn't able to, like, yes. because she has sex with a non or something, yes. like, that's something like every day that their marriage is still what's sort of like happening, it's like they're commit, like they're both committing a sin. Uh, yeah, yeah, the marriage is a sinful marriage. Yeah. So, and then every uh, time they're married, everything they've been to horse. Uh, oh, yeah, it's, it's a good point. Every time they have relations. Okay. It's not. It's not the marriage that's the sin. Why? It's the, it's the, it's the sexual relationship. I mean, marriage is marriage. I mean, if if uh, the Kohen and this forbidden wife uh, never have relations, they're not doing any sin. The sin is the relations. The sin isn't the marriage. It's not the marriage. The sin is the relationship. Huh? Say that? Well, uh, yeah, but then even without that, even if uh, she has a hysterectomy, even if she can't have children, just the union, they're not allowed to be together. And my friend was telling me that she knew this guy at her like school, whatever, and basically he was like secular. Yeah. And the chance he had dated not, like whatever her friend's friend. He basically dated a lot of non-Jews, right? And he dated, yeah. Yeah, and then he met, and he's a Cohen. Yeah. And he met this one girl who was a Jew, and they fell in love and they got married. 
like they wanted to get married. So basically she said that he got a head to marry her because if he didn't marry her, he probably wouldn't have married, like he would just be angry and not marry her in the end. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, did, did she have relations with Ananjo, you said? No, yeah. She, she, she couldn't marry Gavin. Oh, okay. Whether, whether it was like her father wasn't Jewish, I, I think it you. was, but. I got you, okay. Um, she, no, she never had relations with Andrew. Her father wasn't Jewish. Okay, that, oh, okay, okay. Let me mention that. That's another issue. That, that's a totally different issue. Uh, okay, let, let, let me mention qu quickly again. Who can a Cohen not marry? So number one, a Cohen cannot marry a divorced woman. Okay. Number two, that means a Jewish divorced woman with a get. Uh, number two, a Cohen cannot marry a woman who has relations with a guy. That's that number would be, two. Would no, that's that's no. called the zona. But there are kids together. The kids are halakha. Uh, Wait, we call a man who a woman who had relationships with a guy. We call her zona. Yeah. Wasn't that positive? Why is it, that? It is, but but it's okay. a, it's a, it's a generic term. We use but it. We use it for improper yes. intercourse. In, we call the improper. It's called the zona. Halal is the is the status of the child, uh, and a kohen cannot marry a convert, a woman who converted to Judaism. That's a gioris. A kohen cannot marry a gioris. Uh, now, the fourth is going to be a little strange, and that's what you alluded to. And a, a divorced woman, right? Is that, is that what? And a divorced woman. Yeah, in other words, a divorced woman, that's called Garusha. Uh, a woman that had relations with a non-Jew, that's called Zona. And the third category is Gioras, a woman that uh, converted. Uh, the fourth category is Chalala. Now, Chalala is the child, the female child, that is born from a Kohen's violation. So if a Kohen marries a Garusha, the daughter is a Chalala. She cannot marry a Kohen. If a Kohen marries a Zona, the daughter is a Chalala. She cannot marry a Kohen. If a Kohen marries a Gioret, the daughter is a chalala, Jewish, Jewish, but she cannot marry a Kohen. So chalala is simply the child of a Kohen who marries any of the first three. So that woman cannot marry a Kohen. Huh? The daughter is called the chalala. Chalala. And the son, no, the son is called the chalal. Chalal. The son is called the chalal, but the son doesn't have a marriage restriction. The son is just not a Kohen. So a chalala, the daughter of these. The first three. The daughter of the first three is called a chalala. And she has no disability other than one. Her only disability is she's not a mom. She is not a mom. And she cannot marry. She cannot marry a Kohen. Now, if, it, it, no, no. So if you have a male, Question. the male is called chalal, and he can marry anybody he wants, but he's not a Kohen. That's all. His, pro his problem is he's not a Kohen. Her problem is she cannot marry a Kohen. Now, those are, so those are four categories. I'm going I'm to mention a fifth category that's a little unusual, and that's where what you, what you said comes up. So I mentioned four categories, Garusha, Zona, Gioret, Chalala. Everyone has the four categories? Yeah. Yeah. They can get married. Does that mean if they do get married, do they need a divorce or Allah doesn't get all right, they need a divorce uh, because these are these are even if a marriage is prohibited, it may sometimes be valid. Meaning, if a kohen marries a gioris or a kohen marries a zona, 
They're not allowed to. They're not allowed to. But if they do, it is a no. It is a prohibited, valid marriage. Halacha has. No, no. Okay, okay. okay. The word "valid" is ambiguous here. A rabbi is not allowed to marry them. But let's say the rabbi didn't know, and the rabbi married them. They are married, but they must get divorced. See, it's different for, than an intermarriage. If, if, if anybody marries a non-Jew, that's not a marriage. You don't need again. Okay? If uh, a father marries his daughter, you don't need again. Okay? But these types of marriages, if they were done, you need a get to dissolve them. They're not dissolved uh, among themselves. That's what I mean by valid. When I say valid, I don't mean you're allowed to. I mean valid in the sense that you need a get to terminate the marriage. Okay, now, I'm going to give you a fifth category, which is very, very unusual, because it's very different than all the other cases. And that is a child of a non-Jewish father and a Jewish mother. Let's imagine. Okay, non- I'm sorry, what were the other four categories? No, the four categories, no, that was Grusha, divorced woman. Divorce, convert, and zona. Yeah, and the fourth is chalala, the, do- the daughter of those ah. first three. The daughter of the first three. Any daughter from the first three cannot marry her. Right, that's chalala, okay? So that's grusha, zona, giores, chalala. These are the four women that cannot marry a kohen. Now, we then come to category five who cannot marry a kohen. Huh? Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. You're correct. There, there is a phenomenon, phenomenon in the Balshuva world that's called the Kohen's problem. Because if you have a Balshuva Kohen who didn't become religious, let's say, till he was thirty, so he's looking for women in his age group, right? So a lot of women in his age group cannot marry a Kohen, right? So. According to this, I mean, if a child of a non-Jewish Jewish woman. Well, okay. Well, so that's the fifth. Well, well that, that only that only applies to the woman, not to the. Okay. No, but she married the Kohen, and they have kids. All right. So, so let, let's let me address the fifth. Let me address the fifth. The fifth case. So the fifth case is this: uh, if you have a non-Jewish father and a Jewish mother, and uh, they give birth to a girl, that girl is one hundred percent Jewish, right? For sure, Jewish. But even though she's a hundred percent Jewish. Lechatchila, meaning in the first instance, it is better for her not to marry a Kohen. Halacha says she should not marry a Kohen, but this is a very unusual but case. She this is a, she's not allowed to marry a Kohen, but it's a very unusual case. If she married the Kohen because they didn't know the halacha or whatever it would be, they are allowed to stay married. This is the only one. Why would you even learn? Huh? I'm sorry, but why would you even learn? Well, okay, maybe, maybe so, maybe so. Uh, but if the rabbi knows, but if the rabbi who knows, uh, the rabbi can't, can't marry you, if, unless the rabbi doesn't know the halacha. Now, that is where your point would come in. That's the only case where, well, if Bidiyevet, after the fact, they're allowed to stay married, maybe if the guy is not going to marry a Jewish woman unless he marries this woman, there's grounds for leniency. But that wouldn't be grounds for the other ones, Gioris, Zona, because those are Torah violations. He's allowed to marry her. So at that point, there's some flexibility in that, in that particular area. Okay, does everyone understand the category? So, so this is, now this is a, even some rabbis don't know this halacha. This is a little known halacha, but it is a halacha that any woman whose father is not Jewish, lechatchila, that means in the first instance, 
should not marry a a Kohen. Again, the reasons are complicated. The Gemara Yuvamos has various possible derivations for this, uh, but there are other opinions, so that's why the halacha is kind of uncertain. And it says, don't do it, but if you do it, you, you're allowed to stay stay married. Yeah. Let's say uh, a halala yeah. gets married to a Jew, right? A halala gets married to a regular Israel? Or a, a regular Jew. A regular Jew. And they have a daughter. Their daughter can still marry. Their daughter can marry a Cohen. It it's not like a mandate. <laughs> okay, all right. So now you're getting, you're getting, you're getting tricky. Uh, one second. <laughs> Uh, no, unfortunately, the, the daughter cannot marry a Kohen. Uh, so if a halala, yeah, if a halala marries a Yisrael, Yisrael should not. No, I'm sorry. Let, let, let me be sure I have this right. No, no, she could. I'm sorry. That's she correct. Could. If and a Yisrael, if a Yisrael, I'm sorry. You're correct. If a Yisrael marries a halala, yeah. the defect does not get passed down to their daughter, okay, so nothing and their daughter down. could marry a Kohen. So that's like. Okay. But but if a Kohen married a Chalala, the daughter becomes a Chalala on her own <laughs> because yeah. she's born from a prohibited Kohen. So like all of these five things, yeah. it's only the current generation. Like their children are not affected. Like a convert's child can marry. That's a correct. That's correct. A convert's child could marry. A divorced woman's child could marry. That, that's correct. That's correct. So it's, not, Chalala, it's not like mom's. That, that, that's 100% correct. Right. Okay, so this is a complicated thing. Who can marry a Cohen? It's not so pushed, but again, as, as you say, a lot of times we discover that people are not Kohanim, and Baruch Hashem, that turns out to be very, very useful. I'm not sure if I told... That's really sad. Yeah. I'm sorry, that's really sad to go ruin it for a whole family. Well, you have to know, you know, I, I tell you, it, it gets, it gets, you know, it gets, it gets sad, it gets sad, when, when you find out these halachos once people are connected. I, I mean, yeah. if you know ahead of time, you know, uh, that, you know, I don't make shidduchim with kohen, so that's fine. I mean, yeah. you, know, you know, there's no heartbreak there because you just know that if you don't... Know. Well, uh, it's, no. I, I think it actually is important that if, if you're a person who cannot marry a kohen, I think you have to tell the shatcha and I, can, I can't marry a kohen. I mean, the one thing you don't want, you don't want to be set up for, for heartbreak. You don't want to kind of get involved with somebody. You don't have to, but then someone's going to have to have trouble because of you. Yeah, no, you don't yeah. have to know the rules. You just know. Can you marry a Cohen? Yes or no? If they say, I don't know, then you have to be like, well, look into that. You know? No, that's all. That's all. You don't, yeah, you don't have to say why. You don't have to say why. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I told you this story. Forgive me if, if I told it to you. Uh, this is a family uh, that I knew in Chicago for many years. Very good friends. Uh, and I'll tell you the story. Before I knew them, uh, this involved a guy who married a goy, not a gay, not a gyoris. He married a goy. He was not religious. He married a non-Jew. He thought he was a kohen, but he didn't care. He wasn't religious. He married a non-Jew. He had four children. And she got more and more interested in Judaism. Who were going? Who were He didn't care. Nobody cared. Right? Nobody cared. Uh, he has four children who are Goyim. Fine. She gets more and more interested in Judaism. And she wants to convert as an Orthodox Jew. Now, do you understand the problem here? The problem is, in order to convert as an Orthodox Jew, you have to accept all of the mitzvahs. And one of the mitzvahs is that a giyores cannot marry a kohen. So the Basin said to her, listen, we cannot be Megayar you unless you're willing to accept all the commandments. 
Now we're going to check with Moshe Feinstein if you have to leave your husband, but if there's a possibility. You may have to leave your husband. husband are you willing to become Jewish even if this means you're going to leave your husband? So the story goes, the basin wanted to talk to her privately and then talk to him. So she broke down crying and uh, she said, if this is what the Torah says, I will do it. Wow. They called in the husband who was not as religious as her. And the husband said, you guys are crazy. He just walked out. But they, so they divorced. No, 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 no. They converted her because she said she was willing to leave. But then they asked Moshe Feinstein. And listen to what Moshe Feinstein said. Moshe Feinstein said, it's true. A converted woman cannot marry a Kohen. That's true. But how does he know? How does he know he's a Kohen? His answer was, I heard it from my father. My father told me I was a Kohen. Is your father a Shomer Shabbos? Is your father an observant Jew? His father was not an observant Jew. Yay. So Rav Moshe Feinstein ruled, if the only way a man knows he's a Kohen is from a parent or a relative who is not halachically observant, they are not kosher witnesses. Oh and if they are not kosher witnesses, you can assume that you're not a Kohen. Because mo most, Jew most Jews... It's a, it's a problem. <laughs> it's a big problem. So you see, so you see, you see what's going on. You see what's going on. Most Jews are not Kohens. So unless you have testimony that somebody's a Kohen... Say again? I didn't hear you. Huh? She said when she's a shachan, she's yeah. going to call you. Okay. All right. So this was a, Okay, that's fine. So, so, so I can tell you that to this day, Baruch Hashem, uh, they, you know, they're, 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 they're all from, they're religious, uh, all their children converted. The children converted too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they had children afterwards, uh, each other. So, uh, but you know what he says to me? He says to me, he's very afraid when Mashiach comes. Mashiach is going to find out he is a Kohen. Oh, no. Ay, 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 what's oh, going to happen? No. But I told him, I told him, if Ramosha Feinstein said you're not a Kohen, then Mashiach yeah. is going to agree with that. He's not going to change. Mashiach will give him a... Uh, right, right. Yeah, so, so, so we'll see. In fact, Chazal actually say Mashiach is not going to make anybody puzzle. Mashiach is not going to reveal, oh, you're a mumser and you're this. I asked you this last Mashiach year. does not do this at all. I asked you this last year. If Mashiach will do that? I said to you, that, you know the thing about three, okay, not to be like amazing, but my, I asked my mom, I was like freaked out. Yeah. The, you know how the thing after three generations you're just Jewish? Yes. One day I was like, oh my God, mom, what if we find out that like, you know, our great, 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 great grandma wasn't Jewish? My mom said, there's proof, 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 whatever. So I just asked you that and and you said, after three generations, you're just Jewish. Yeah. And I said, well, whatever. What if Mashiach comes? He's like, huh. You said he's not going to do that. He's not going to do that. No, that, that's correct. That's correct. Uh, I think about that a lot, actually. This is a, after three mothers giving birth to... Jewish people? If they're, if well, well it, 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 it really means, it, it doesn't mean you become Jewish. It means we don't look. We don't investigate. After three generations. Right, right. We don't raise children. I know my parents are Jewish and I'm fine. Yeah. If you that's have basically. like her ketubah or her gag or her burial thing. No, because otherwise, I mean, otherwise, what are you going to do? You, you, you have to go back to the base of Mickey. You have to go back 2,000 years, you know, uh, at some point. At some point, we, we kind of just say, uh, this is it. Think about it. Three generations back, isn't it so much? Today, it's not so much. That's right. It's like my, my, that means that my mother's grandmother could be not Jewish. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but on the other hand, if you have a ketubah, uh, again, you, you, I mean, you have some proof from the first three generations. So, well, yeah, three generations you know. ago, Instagram wasn't so huge. Yeah, that's 
Yeah, so, 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 so I, want, I want to raise this question. It could be that some of the rules that we used to work with may not work today so much. Because now, the reform movement does... Yeah. The reform movement does a lot of conversions, number one. The reform movement has patrilineal descent, meaning... No, what I'm saying is, it used to be that in the olden days, somebody said, I'm Jewish. So you're Jewish. Now a person might mean my grandmother had a reformed conversion. You know, you have to investigate a little more. It's just like it really, 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 really scares me. Because like I don't have any proof. Like, yeah, I have my parents to do like I don't have it. It's not on me. You know, I'll tell you this, you know, if you want to get if you want to get married in Israel, if you, if you want to get married in Israel, you have to prove that you're Jewish. And I know. So what do you do? So let's say you want to get married, right? So you would. Well, you can do that, or you can call a rabbi to come in to the base then. Let's say you call me, and I say, I say, I know she's Jewish. I mean, the whole thing is kind of a joke. How do I know you're Jewish? I mean, because you told me. Well, you you told them too. I mean, they say they're not going to accept your word. They're going to accept my word. Why is my word better than your word if I only know what I said because you told me? It, it's a very funny system. It, it, you know, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But that's how it works. The rabbinut will not accept your words, but it will accept uh, a witness who heard from you that's so uh, that you're Jewish. It's kind of, kind of crazy. Um, okay. Same thing for, not for Aliyah. Aliyah is not a halachic matter, but Aliyah is the same thing. If any of you want to make Aliyah, you have to have a letter from a rabbi that you're Jewish. And I write, I write a hundred of these letters. And how do I know the guy's Jewish? Because he told me. <laughs> so why, why can't he tell them? <laughs> he tells me. But that's 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 how it works. Okay, everyone uh, got a sense of who can marry a kohen. I hope I didn't uh, burst any any bubbles today. Who cannot marry a kohen? Chalal, chalala, the difference between them, and uh, and 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 the like. Okay, alrighty. So this was kind of a little bit of a uh, a little bit of a of a digression. Uh, now let me mention one other one other thing. There's a very interesting machlokas like this. What if right, a giyoris cannot marry a kohen? Right, a giyoris cannot marry a kohen, but a child of a giyoris could marry a kohen. Right, in other words, a giyoris marries a, a Jew, a regular Israel. They have a daughter; she can marry a kohen, no problem. What if a woman converted while she was pregnant? It's very very interesting. A woman converts when she's pregnant and gives birth to a daughter. A Jew. A Jew, right. Let's say, let's say, uh, well, the kid is Jew. Well, actually, okay, let's, let's go back a little before I, yeah, let, let's go back a little bit. If a woman converts when she's pregnant, what is the status of, of the child? That's an interesting question. Is the child Jewish or not Jewish? So we would say he's Jewish because he, he or she is Jewish because although the conception was when she was not Jewish, right? But the birth was from a Jewish mother, right? So you are correct. Uh, generally speaking, if a woman converts when she's pregnant, the baby is Jewish, and it makes no difference if dad was a Jew or dad was a non-Jew, that makes no difference, because the baby was born from a Jewish mother, and in a sense, the mother's conversion included the baby. So here's the interesting question. Can this girl marry a Kohen? A converted woman cannot marry a Kohen. But here the question is, do we look at her like she converted along with her mother? No, no. In which case, well, she wasn't born yet, that's right. 
or, or, but, but still, do I say that the, the, the process included her <coughs> or no? She's a Jew from birth because she was born from a Jewish mother. So that's a machlokis. Can, can a woman, can a woman who, can, who, who was, so to speak, converted in the uterus, is such a woman called a natural-born Jew or is such a woman called a giyorah? So that's a machlokis. Can she marry a Kohen? Uh, that would depend on how do you understand it. Do you understand her as being born a Jew or do you understand it as the mother's conversion included uh, included the, the, the fetus. Okay, um, is there someone had a hand up? Uh, okay, already. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, so the child of a convert can marry. Yeah, a Kohen, that's for sure. A wow. child of a convert. So like my sis- like, I'm not, but I'm saying like someone can, like someone's sister could, but you can't. That's correct. It's totally possible. In, in the case of the. You converted yeah. versus your parents had you after. Like let, let's say you're one year old and you can. Okay, so that's a, that's a that's a very very big very important difference. Yeah. Uh, if a man if a if a couple converts and they convert their one year old, yeah. she cannot marry a Cohen but for then sure. They have another baby. But if they have yeah. a baby afterwards, that could that could. So, so you're right. You can have two sisters. One can marry a Cohen. One could not. That that is correct. No, I'm just saying like. No, that that's very important I guess to know. It's good, but Once the child is born and then converts. Even if it's six months old, 100%, they cannot marry a, a coin. Like, what if you convert a child on birth? What, what do you mean on birth? Before birth or after like, birth? Like, right when they're giving birth, like yeah. she's in she heaven? Mm-hmm. Well, well. She's in So, no, no. So that's what I'm saying. Once the baby's head, mm-hmm. the definition yeah. of birth, birth has a definition. Most of the head yeah. or most of the body if it's a breech birth. So yeah. if the conversion took place, once the child is halakhically born, then the, the girl cannot marry a Kohen. Uh, if the conversion took place before the child was halakhically born, they could marry a Kohen. Right? Yeah, that, that would be the issue. The issue is the baby stuck out its head. Right. Okay. That would be a that would be a very very interesting shyla. That would be such a good movie. Right. That would be such a good story. Right. Yeah, yeah, that would be an interesting shyla. Can she marry? Can she marry a Kohen? Yeah. Why? Um. Yeah. We'd have to we'd have to we'd have to see how that. What if she was in labor? Yeah. Like then she her. And like you don't go to the you don't go to the meetings. Ah, so let me tell you something. Let me let me let me let me raise this question. When is conversion? When a woman goes to the mikvah, is she Jewish? No, no, I'm asking generally. Does she become Jewish when she immerses? Immerses? Or does she become Jewish only when she comes up? <laughs> when, when is the conversion only take that, effect? Right? So she has to come up? We're talking about like a difference of 30 seconds? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Right. Technically, no. she is not Jewish <laughs> until her head is above. So your question is, if her head is up, <laughs> the baby comes out. <laughs> comes out dead. The baby comes out once her head is up. Then, then the baby was converted in utero. Uh, in utero. So the mom has to I'm sorry, yeah. people can give birth in like a taxi. People can give birth in the middle. Not true. No. <laughs> okay. I don't know. She doesn't have to get it doesn't the just start. And have to be sitting in car out. Maybe she can get out of the mikvah. You don't fit in there. Anyway, whatever. I'm writing a book. 
Listen, listen. Anyone who, learn, anyone who learns Gemara knows that the Gemara is filled, just to analyze things theoretically. The Gemara is filled with hypothetical things that will never happen because you want to understand. You want to understand the principles uh, that are uh, that are involved. Okay. All right. Um, now there is. Uh, there actually is a general rule that. Um, when a woman converts, I'll just mention this as another halacha, she's not allowed to get married for three months. It's very, very interesting. What is, what is the reason? Uh, because pregnancies, as a general rule, are, are not physically detectable till three months, the uh, first trimester. And uh, since there was an assumption that non-Jewish people were often promiscuous, uh, there might be a pregnancy, and let's say she gets married to a Jewish guy and has a kid seven months later. The question is, is it a nine month for some other guy or a seven months from the Jewish husband? It's unknown paternity. So because of this, we have to wait and see that she's either pregnant or not pregnant, and then we allow her to get married. Now, the same rule, by the way, applies in a regular case of death or divorce. You know, if a woman is widowed, you know this, if a woman is a widow or a woman is divorced, she is not allowed to get married for 90 days, for three months, in case there's a pregnancy. Now, the question is, does that, does that apply to an 85-year-old woman? Okay, that's a, that's a good question. Yeah. Same thing, same, same thing, same thing, same thing. That's exactly correct, that we do not do yibam for three months uh, for that reason. Okay, so this applies to a widow, it applies to divorce, it applies to yibam, and it applies to every woman who converts. Uh, even if she wasn't married, because we're chosh, we're afraid by the non-Jew that they were promiscuous and might have had a, a pregnancy. So you do need to know that, that when you convert, uh, you have to wait uh, 90 days until there can be a uh, can be a, a marriage. Okay. Alrighty. Um, again, I, I I'm trying to remember what we talked. Last week we spoke about adoption, right? That was the main thing we talked about. Did everyone remember? <laughs> I'm sorry. Again. Ah, oh, so that, that's an excellent question. So the question becomes uh, DNA testing. So it's a, again, I, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry to keep on telling you it's machlokas. There are some opinions that say that DNA probability is so high that DNA is as good as witnesses. Uh, but Rav Yashiv, who was a great, great uh, posek who died around uh, uh, six years ago, uh, rules that halacha does not consider DNA testimony to be conclusive. I'll tell you where this is very interesting. This, this is actually, now this may sound bad, but this is actually very, very lenient. Let's say a woman has an affair. She's a married woman. Mm -hmm. Forget about Cohen for a moment. A woman is mezana. A woman has an affair. She has a child from that affair. Now that's very severe stuff. That child, forget about halal, halala, that child is mamzer. Mamzer cannot marry anybody except another Mamzer or a Giorit. But the halacha says the following. Even if a woman is promiscuous, we assume that most of her relations are with her husband. And therefore the halacha assumes any child she has is not a Mamzer. Even if we know she was with another guy, halacha assumes that the child is not a Mamzer. It's a child of the husband. Now, that's what the Gemara says. The modern question is, 
What if the husband demands a DNA test and the DNA test shows that the husband is not the father? Can you use a DNA test to make a child a mamzer? Revol Yashiv said no. DNA is not halakhically sufficient to make a child a mamzer. We will still assume it is the child of the husband, even if it looks, even if it looks like the other, the other guy as well. So that works out very well, which means if you think about this, it is very hard halakhically to ever make a kid a mamzer, because even if we know she had an affair, we know this, and we know she got pregnant, we know she had a kid, Halakha's going to assume, yeah, she had an affair, but she had the kid from her husband, and DNA is not going to change that fact. Uh, now, so that's where DNA works out to be lenient. On the other hand, DNA can work out to be, not using it can be very strict. Let's say you find a dead body, and you can't identify it from the face or whatever it is, but you can do a DNA test that it's the woman's husband. If you don't rely on DNA, you would not allow the woman to remarry. So that's where so it would... So then we do rely on DNA? No, so the thing is a big machlokas, meaning, meaning some opinions okay. use DNA for everything, and they will rely on it. Some opinions use DNA for nothing, and others will use it to mature her to marry, but they won't use it to make a child a monster, right? So there are three different views about this. Yeah? Um, what, like, does it really need to be a boss code? I know what it means, it's the daughter of the coven, but yeah. like, do they have any, like, is there like, any point to it? Yeah, no, so. Is there any point to it? Like, why? <laughs> uh, well, a boss code really doesn't have that many restrictions. She can go to a cemetery, unless she's pregnant. She might be carrying a boy, but a boss code can go oh, to she's a. She's pregnant with a boy? Yeah, yeah, if if, if a Bas Cohen is pregnant with a boy from a Cohen, from a Cohen, actually any pregnant, yeah, any wife, any wife of a Cohen should not go to the cemetery. Yeah, but a Bas Cohen can go into a cemetery. Uh, in the time of the temple, a Bas Cohen could eat the truma. She could eat the sacrificial food that was only given to a Cohen, so she had that prerogative. But like nowadays, it doesn't really mean anything. Nowadays, it doesn't mean that much. Can you use your Bas Cohen ship? Uh, like if she's a zona. No, no, no. Even if she's a zona, just just like the Cohen, right? A Cohen who's with a guy doesn't lose his status. So, oh, so she doesn't. If she sleeps with a non-Jew, can she marry a Cohen still? No, because she's a zona. But she'd still be considered. A she's Bas still a Bas Cohen, but she can't marry a Cohen. It doesn't really mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. Uh, that's correct. That's correct. In other words, a a zona Bas Cohen is still a Bas Cohen, but she's also a zona, so she can't marry a Cohen. Okay. Okay, maybe we'll, we'll stop here. Wish you all well. Have a good week, everybody. Uh, so next week you have a, a vacation, is that right? Yes, vacation. Okay. Okay. Um, okay.